Okay. Um, I, uh, so for those who hadn't maybe been in a class before of my own, or for maybe those of you who are, who are visiting, first of all, welcome for and, and glad that you're here. Um, I have a microphone uh, up front. Uh, Michael's got one in the back. I'd strongly encourage you, if you've got something to say, please, uh, please raise your hand so that it can be, uh, that it can be heard through the microphone. Um, I'm going to go a little bit uh, quick today. So if you have a hand raised, you need to get it up. So I can, because uh, so, I can see, because my current mental state is go quickly. All right, so you have to, uh, you have to help me with that. All right, first, uh, first order of business today. Uh, we have it. It's been a few months since we read Epistle from Paul, and Hebrews is an epistle, but it's a little bit of a different kind. It's it's more of a general epistle to a broad, sweeping group of people, where this one is is specific to a group. So I'd like to talk about how to read. Um, an epistle like this, uh, and then give you an assignment at the end. So again, give me five minutes or so to talk about it, and then if you've got other things that you've studied or, or, or help you in study of epistles, please please bring that up. So first, um, the context of epistles. There's four different kinds of context we all have to keep in mind, not only today, but in the other uh, classes in this in this study of Galatians. There's the the cultural context first, meaning the Jewish one or the Greek one or the hybrid version uh, of that. The culture, you know, informs the background of the people who are reading the epistle from the first time, like those in the city of Rome, like those in the city of Philippi, and in this case, in multiple cities uh, in, in Galatia. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the cultural context in which this book is written. Separately, but kind of related to that, is a situational uh, context. What is the prehistory of this letter being written, which we're going to talk about a little bit in Acts chapter 13 and, and, and chapter 14? What is the prehistory of the author relative to his audience? Um, the context historically in the book of Acts, how the church got put together, etc. The gospel context. You know, how do the things and the topics that Paul's talking about here, how are they a part of the unified story that leads us to Jesus? You know, that's the, that's the big story in the Bible, that, that Jesus has come, Jesus believed himself to be king, he proclaimed himself to be king, and started a, a movement uh, that he was king for all eternity and can save anyone to be a part of his kingdom through his resurrection. That's the story of the whole Bible. How does the book of Galatians fit in that, which we'll talk through? And then the self-context. What I mean by that is the context of the letter itself, uh, how one paragraph relates to another, how one chapter uh, relates, relates to another. We're going to talk about the first two this morning, the cultural context, the situational context. Um, and we also recognize um, a couple of other things about reading an epistle, an epistle ultimately is a letter. It's not a biography. It's not a poem. It's a, it's a letter. And it is, from our perspective, it is one side of a very important communication. We only get one side of it um, in, uh, in this book and in other epistles by Paul. Um, it provides us a window, a window into uh, God's will, and it provides us a window also into the Christian community, how they communicated with each other. This was a letter written to 
an original audience. We're going to talk about the audience in a moment, but we know both through uh, early church history and through some of the writings of Paul that these letters would have been passed around. Um, we know that we even have uh, Paul mentions other letters uh, besides the ones that are written in our physical Bibles that we don't even have. There was a letter to the to the Laodiceans. There was uh, a a uh, there's a good there's good evidence that there was another letter written to the Corinthians um, that's not written that's not uh, published for us. But in general, it's a letter written to an original audience and passed uh, to to another group uh, over time. The last thing that I would mention. I think this applies to all of the Bible, not just the epistles, but perhaps since we're in the epistles, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll say there. The epistles are meant to be heard and not read. Uh, Paul did not have a, a, an email distribution uh, for the city of Galatia that he could write this letter and carbon copy everybody um, so that everybody could have a chance to read it when they got home. Um, I, I imagine a scenario where the church is assembled like this, uh, one Sunday, and um, one of the leaders of the congregation uh, has been delivered uh, a letter, a letter, one single letter. And in order for us, the Galatians or the people in Derby or the people in Iconium to, to, to listen to it, to understand it, we would have to hear it, not read it. Uh, and and I, I feel that Paul has, has written it in such a way so that it is to be heard and not read. So I'm, I'm only give, distributing one homework assignment for uh, the next six weeks as we, or seven weeks as we study uh, this book, um, including one where we'll skip for the gospel meeting. Um, 18 to 21 minutes is about how long, depending on how fast uh, you read. Um, if you've never read the epistle out loud, I would encourage you to try it. Listen, um, and I'm going to try some to read uh, thick sections at a time, because the Bible was originally presented to the Christian community that way. It was presented um, so they could hear it, not read it. So, um, comments on anything about that, about just epistles as a whole. Again, this one's a little different than the book of Hebrews. This is written to specific people. Um, be mindful of context. We're going to talk about the first two this morning. Be mindful that this is a piece of a two-way communication. We only get one side of the communication. We get Paul's side to the Galatians. And as much as we can, listen uh, to the Bible, not just read it. Any comments or questions or anything about uh, about that. Oh, you're already helping me out already. Excellent. All right. So, cultural <clears throat> cultural context. <clears throat> Most of the letters of Paul are written to individual people, or they are written to uh, individual churches or individual uh, cities that have have churches. This one is written to a a region of, of Galatia. Um, if you, if you look on the, on the map, this is a general idea of Galatia. Um, it became part of Rome 25 years or so before, before Jesus, by 25 BC. It is a, a geographical region, a central to southern, uh, modern Turkey. 
Uh, so it's, it's a geographical region, but it's also a political like state. So it's, it's like the, the Southeast and also Tennessee. It's, it's two, two things in one. So a geographical space, but also it would have been considered like a state or, or a province of, of the Roman Empire. In, in, um, in Rome, uh, where, where, excuse me, in the Roman Empire, obviously they're going to they're gonna take over cities. And with the Roman expansion, um, you can imagine... This part of the this part of the region, which is sort of in the uh, maybe in the middle, let's say of of the Roman Empire. There's a lot to the west. There's a lot to the east. So there's a lot of networking and overlapping. So it would create a culture that is multi-layered and complex. It's not. It, it's somewhat uh, not very not very homogeneous. It's sort of a melt. Not maybe a, in a, a melting pot as big as America's melting pot, but it's going to have Greeks. It's going to have Romans. It's going to have Jews, uh, which we'll obviously see uh, here in a moment. Um, it's got um, multiple, multiple small cities that are, to me, that the focus area of right now. So if you look at, and we're gonna, we'll get there in a second, Acts 13 and 14, where we're looking at four cities uh, in Galatia. You've got Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. Uh, Antioch. This is the Antioch of Pisidia up there in the top left-hand corner, not the Antioch over on the far right-hand side where Paul um, originates and, and goes back to. But this, this Antioch, just to give you kind of a perspective of, and this took me longer than I, longer than I thought it would, um, just to give you a perspective, so Iconium uh, to, excuse me, Antioch to Iconium, it would be like we started kind of northwest Clarksville, like up in Fort Campbell, and came to Murfreesboro, okay? Don't imagine the, the headache and the blood pressure raising between there and getting through Nashville. Just imagine it's like three in the morning, Christmas day, and you got a nice smooth track uh, from, uh, from Fort Campbell to uh, Murfreesboro. And then from Iconium to Lystra, you're gonna go uh, south, about 19 miles, so south-ish. I didn't really do a great job of this one, kind of more southeast. Uh, from Murfreesboro to Woodbury, you know, so that, that doesn't feel too far compared to when I've come from Fort Campbell to, uh, to Murfreesboro. And then Lystra to Derby, 62 miles or so. Uh, so Woodbury to like Fayetteville, Crossville, up there on, uh, on I-40. Feels like a decent uh, trek. And that's to us driving, um, driving, <laughs> let alone walking or, 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 riding an, or riding an animal. So... You know, somewhat kind of the middle region of this state. It, it doesn't feel fairly. It doesn't feel big. Um, this is we're not traveling from from Spain to, to Italy, Spain to Egypt. This is a, a, a decently uh, a dense area. Derby is sort of at the end of the road, so to speak. At this time, after you get to Derby, there's not a lot of networks and traffic following further east. So it makes sense for Paul to basically kind of make a lap uh, as he does in Acts 13 and 14 and not continue like the natural circle you would think you'd go up to the north and come back down to southeast back to Antioch. There wasn't much there, so we just take the, uh, take the left-hand turn and go back. So Crossville would be kind of the, I guess, the dead end of the world. And uh, I'm not saying anything about Crossville, but it kind of, kind of come back this way, kind of come back towards Woodbury, back towards Murfreesboro, and go back, uh, go back in reverse. Um, so that's a little bit about the region. So not very big, 
multiple cities um, in, in somewhat relatively close to each other, multi-layered um, and complex, uh, somewhat complex um, of culture. Does that make sense to everybody? Everybody, because so, the idea right now is you gotta park yourself in that region of the world, okay? Now, class, we can go to uh, Acts 13. <clears throat> so Acts uh, 13, um, I'm going to, I'm going to summarize and read a few uh, verses uh, through the through this part of the part of the book, and I'm going to try to stop a couple of times and ask for for questions. So be on uh, be on alert there. So Paul and Barnabas. They set off in Acts 13 on what we call their first missionary journey. So it is a journey they take off on to proclaim the gospel message from somewhere other than, you know, their local, uh, their local uh, inhabitants, their local hometown, and in this case, where they started in, in Antioch. Whenever Paul visits a town, um, in, in most cases, he does what he does uh, in chapter 13 and verse 14. So let's pick up Acts 13 Verse 14, but going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them, saying, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for people, say it. So Paul, again, he finds himself in, the, in Pisidia Antioch. Remember, this is not uh, the Antioch of uh, Acts chapter um, 11. This is up, up in uh, the, the northwest part of Galatia. They go in. Uh, Paul, being a Jew, probably looks like a Jew. He's, he's welcomed into the synagogue. And there is a situation where um, he's known to be from out of town, known to be a speaker. So, hey, you know, I heard you, uh, I heard you speak. Would you, like, would, you like to, uh, would you like to say anything? And yeah, Paul, Paul's got something to say. So, uh, Paul <clears throat> spreads his message in, in different ways, but it's basically, basically the same message about uh, the relationship between the Jewish history and the man that Paul is claiming to be Messiah, Jesus Christ. Um, and they, the, the people there, you know, predominantly Jews. There's probably certainly some, some non-Jews there listening in on what's going on, uh, but they're they're meeting in synagogues. Um, Paul is invited to speak. And, and what, is, what is Paul's basic message? Well, in chapter 13, it's Jesus is the Messiah King uh, compared to all this Jewish history you've seen before. John the Baptist, you all have heard of John the Baptist. You who are, are in this town, you've heard of John the Baptist. He is one of many prophets who foretold of, of Jesus coming and he's here. How do we know what is my proof that, that this, what I'm saying to you is true? It is in verse uh, 30. God raised him from the dead. That is the, the climax of Paul's truth and proof through his letters, through his teaching. I've got something to say to you about your, your religion, Jewish people, and it's being fulfilled. It's being told it's fulfilled. How do we know? Because the man I'm claiming fulfilled it rose from the dead. Therefore... Here's the conclusion, verse uh, 38. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things 
and from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. So, so Paul summarizes all of these things. His ultimate conclusion is you now have access to God through this man, Jesus Christ, who is raised from the dead. Now, good Bible students, on a Sunday morning, without looking, what somebody summarized for me, what generally happens from here? Once Paul has, has said his piece, uh, what does Luke record for us in Acts is, is a typical response um, in, in a city like this. Conflict. Conflict, okay. So there's, so before the, so, but some, there's some conflict, but there's also belief. There's some who, who hear it and receive the message, but it also results in conflict. Excellent, excellent summary. Uh, there are people who believe Paul's message. Chapter 13, verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas were going out and people kept begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath, now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. I want to hear more about this. I want to understand it. And eventually, it attracts believers and conflict. So David mentions conflict. Somebody besides David, why would there be conflict? Another kind of softball. The questions get harder from here. But why, why would there be conflict um, with what Paul is doing? Okay, so there is, a, there is a difference in this message than the ones that they may have heard last Saturday uh, from, a, from a teacher or, or the Saturday before that from a man in the synagogue. There's a, a distinct dis difference in this one, and the synagogue leaders don't like it. Um, they don't like it because it's different, and, they, and can you think of another reason maybe why they may not like it? Who else is attracted to this message? Yeah, Greeks and Gentiles are attracted to this message and become believers, which is another reason if you're in the Jewish synagogue leader, you may not like this message. So what is the result? If you don't like the message, what do you do? You kill the messenger, right? Or in, in this case, you drive the messenger out of town. Chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed, which is great. And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. And they shook the dust off their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. So there's the basic, the basic narrative of what happens, and it happens a couple of times. Uh, in Iconium, there is a, an attempt to stone them added to this, added to this narrative in chapter uh, 14, verses 4 and, and 5 and 6. So they're attempted to be stoned to death. In Lystra, Paul uh, heals a man and uses the miracle to sort of reinforce the strength and the credibility of his message. And um, in chapter 14, verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. So you, you've, got a, you've, you've got to, again, picture this as, as much as you can in your head. You've got Paul with a handful of travelers and Barnabas teaching a message 
And as we leave Fort Campbell and we're coming to Murfreesboro, there's a crowd following us. Some of them have our back and some of them don't. And they're coming to Murfreesboro and we are teaching the message here. And uh, we gather believers, but we also gather conflict. Um, and then they're basically following us and instigating other people in the cities, um, other people uh, in, in those areas. Um, Paul makes his lap. Okay, we're doing good. Paul uh, makes his lap, and he goes back to Antioch. This is the Antioch uh, in the southern, southeastern part of the, uh, of the area that we talked about before, um, where Paul um, had been and originated. And he goes back, and he basically provides a report of the things uh, that have happened. In chapter 14, verse 27, when they had arrived and gathered the church together, <coughs> excuse me, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. So, at, this t at some point, at this time, uh, while Paul is, is in Antioch, understanding what had happened, um, Paul um, hears of something that's going on in the cities that he's just been at uh, in Galatia. There are, there's a teacher or teachers that heard, I, I, I suspect, heard Paul's message, either directly or indirectly, the first time around, and, uh, and they've got something different to say about it. And now Paul is not there to meet them head on. But Paul has, has been to those cities, a couple of them twice, but he's far away from there now. And he's gotten word that his message and all these good things that he's reported that has happened amongst the Jews, amongst the Gentiles, they continue, but there is someone else who's come behind Paul, after Paul, and is also teaching a message um, that also includes Jesus. Um, that message includes Jesus, but it also includes the law of Moses. Only by following the law, you believers in Jesus, um, every day could you truly be forgiven of your sins. This is a and business, Jesus and the law. Um, the Jewish dietary restrictions, the washing of the dishes by the rules, the, the one that becomes the most prominent one in, in Acts 15 anyway, the circumcision, um, the Sabbath, um, thus creates a, a, a conflict that has to be addressed. And Paul addresses it in the book of Galatians. It, it, to me, and, and having even studied this, it's hard for me to put myself in that position. But we have to, as best we can, put ourselves in that position. Let's try. We are all first-generation Christians. We have all the members of, we're the members of our family to hear the gospel for the first time. And we heard it very recently, a couple of, couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago maybe. And we, we studied together, and now we are confused slash believing something different, uh, some of us, uh, because there's other teachers who have come along that are saying things that sound like what Paul has said, but they are different because they include the law of Moses. Very pivotal moment. 
Christianity as a whole, less than 50 years old here. Um, and and, and this, this belief that I've, that I've come to, to, to hold to is impacting how I treat my wife. It's impacting how I treat my coworkers. It's impacting who I give my money to. And now there's a, uh, there's a difference in what Paul was saying when he was here and what this guy is saying when he's here. Does everybody see kind of the, the real danger we're in uh, at this moment? And to me, to further the danger, Paul does not get up and make another lap to address this immediately. Paul has to try to address this conflict by writing a letter. Um, so this letter better be powerful, right? I'm setting you up because Paul's about to come in really hot uh, in, uh, in Galatians chapter 1. Okay, any comments that, uh, that you would like to add to my uh, summary just now? Michael's got a mic and I've got a mic. Anybody? All right, Galatians chapter one. Let's turn to uh, Galatians chapter one. We're gonna read verses one through 10. Paul, an apostle, not sent from men, nor through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and the God, the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that we might be, excuse me, so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of 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 our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what you have been preached to you, he is to be accursed. And as we have said before, so now I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. For, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to, seek, striving to please men? If I was striving to, to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Okay, I can't remember what I've got. Oh, I should have uh, mentioned this. I'm sorry. So, some assumptions. So, uh, reading and, and listening to some, some other commentators on this book, two assumptions that I've got uh, when studying, and we could talk about them here, we could talk about them one-on-one, that this book was written relatively soon after uh, the, the Galatian visit uh, to these cities, and it was written around the time of the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. Uh, there is... Reference to Paul visiting Jerusalem three times uh, overall, and only twice has Paul visited, according to what he says in the book of Galatians, he's visited um, Jerusalem twice. Um, so there's a third visit of Paul's coming, which I would assume is, is Acts 15. So all that to say, um, my, my thought is that this happens right around the time of the letter written, around, right around the time of Acts 15, but maybe slightly before and what we've got here is a is sort of a, an elaborated summary of some of the things that would have been talked about uh, in, in the Council of Jerusalem 
beyond what were recorded in, in Acts uh, 15. Okay, now that uh, I've said that, um, what, somebody summarize for me, what is Paul's strong claim? Let's summarize it and then we'll get down into the weeds about it a bit. What's that? Okay, we're saved by faith. What, is, what else is Paul's strong claim, particularly here? All right, apart from the words of the law, and if you say anything different than that, you are to be cursed by God, all right? So, this book, I've got a couple of examples up here, and this is one of those, tell me which one doesn't belong, uh, class. So, these are three different introductory sections of three different epistles of God. Uh, the first one, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Anybody recognize that? Where is it from? Ephesians. Yeah, that's right, Ephesians. All right, so um, the, the second one over here, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of Christ, which is given to you in Christ Jesus, and everything you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Man, it is so great to be able to write to y'all. I've got so much thanksgiving in my heart for y'all. Uh, grace and peace to you. Uh, now, let's go to the, the bottom one. Grace and peace from God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that we might rescue us from this evil, from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and amen. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him, who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is not just another account, but there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. All right, which one does not belong, and why does it not belong? Somebody help me out. Which one sounds different? The Galatians, how does it sound different? Right. The others... Man, it's so good to be able to write to you. I'm thankful for all the things that we had. Let's recall the blessings we have of God and Christ Jesus together. Galatians. Hey, what are you doing? Um, I am amazed at what I hear is going on. Um, and again, remember, let's thank as us, first-generation Christians in the church of Iconium, and one of our leaders has come up and said, we have a letter from Paul. Oh, great. I remember Paul. He wasn't here that long ago. And he starts out. He's got me, he's got me hooked a little bit. Kind of recounts the gospel message in a sentence. And then all of a sudden, he gets his, he gets his David Bunting voice out. And, uh, and uh, it's like, I'm amazed you are so quickly deserting uh, him who called you by the grace of God. And, I, and I'm making a... Um, making a bit of a show of this to, to sort of make a point. I, I feel that this is an aggressive letter, uh, more aggressive than something to the Philippians, certainly more aggressive than like what we read, like the general epistle that we read just now in the book of Hebrews. Um, this is a, an aggressive letter because Paul is passionate about something. What is he passionate about? Somebody summarize again for me. What is he passionate, what is he so passionate about that he would be amazed or baffled. What is Paul baffled is going on? 
Okay? Yeah. Yeah, there is, there was a, a time where Paul was there and, and, and Jewish, Jewish people um, who, who, have, who know about Jesus, who maybe even believe what Paul is talking about, have come to the Galatian churches and Paul's not there and, and start to, to teach something, like I mentioned before, similar to the gospel, but different uh, than the gospel that Paul wrote. We're going to talk about this a little bit more as, as we go, but there is um, their basic claim is this. Um, we are uh, members of Abraham's seed. We're part of Abraham's family. And we also have learned from Paul. And we heard from other apostles than Paul, you know, a man who, who claims to be an apostle. We'll get to that in a second. Um, we, we believe in what Paul says makes sense, but what he left out or what he didn't emphasize is some of the things that we want to emphasize, the keeping of the Jewish law that we've come to know and love up to this point in our lives. So Jesus Christ, yes, uh, believe in him, but also remember circumcision. That is your role, um, how you wash your hands, what days you remember. Remember the things that we're supposed to keep. Okay, Church of Iconium, Church of Lystra, this is the basic message. And, and if, you, if you think Paul has full autonomy, the guy who you saw the first time, remember, we're not exactly sure that Paul was an apostle. I mean, after all, this guy did persecute members of churches just like us, okay? So be, be, be careful how much you believe of what Paul says. Got it? Do I sound convincing? I should, because a lot of people were convinced by that, weren't they? Paul's not there to defend himself. Paul's not here to defend uh, himself in front of me when I'm speaking as a, uh, as a man who cares about you, Eric. I want you to follow the law, and I want your kids to be, to be followers of Jesus too. And part of that, man, is, is making sure that we understand what the law of Moses commands of us. Okay? Now, Paul hears about this going on, and, and he's not... Uh, not happy about it. Um, when when Paul, Paul's, Paul's response is, is pretty severe, and to me it ties to the severity of the, of the error. Uh, I'm going to make a quick, quick commentary on verses 8 through 10 and then try to make a, a quick application that I'd like for you to help me, to help me with. Um, Paul's tone and stinging words. Let's read read them again. Verse 8, chapter 1 of Galatians. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I again say now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. I told you about this before. I told you about this before when we were with you. If any man or an angel from heaven, you know, if someone would have burst through that fake brick back there and come standing right down here and say, I'm an angel from God and I've got a message for you, what should our response to that, that, that being be? 
What do you believe about Jesus Christ and his resurrection? I want to understand that first before I hear your message. Because if there's something different between what you say, even if you, even if you were to bust through the roof and come down as an angel, we, Galatian church, you need to understand what that man or what that being believes about Jesus Christ and about his resurrection first, before you hear anything else he has to say. And if his message is different from mine, if it's different from Paul's message, he is to be accursed. Um, sometimes, um, even, even recently, we had a class on the, on the Psalms in this, in this auditorium, and we talked about the imprecatory Psalms, where there are Psalms of curses on people, curses on nations. And that gets us, that gets us a, little bit, um, a little bit tight. It's like, ah, it's not my job to, to curse people. Um, or pray a curse on someone, but Paul Paul does. Um, how we apply that? You know, again, apostolic, apostolic examples. So should we be uh, flying around doing this um, like Paul? Not maybe in this degree, but there is a there is a sense in which um, a a message or, or a topic is so um, important that if someone teaches against it. Um, they are to be accursed because of the, the difference between what they're teaching and what we're teaching and the direction it can take people. That's how passionate Paul feels, right? Now, for a, for a moment, um, tell, me, tell me in your own words, I, I titled this section, Paul's Strong Claim. What, how, does, how is this a very strong claim of Paul's? And what is he... What is he responsible for doing from here on out, if you think, if you think about it a little bit? Somebody read Bill's mind and like, what am I looking for? What is this, what does everything I've just said say about Paul? We know what it says about the Galatian church. We know what it says about the teachers who um, were, were in there and teaching something that sounded similar but was different. What does this say about uh, Paul? Hold on, Miss Debbie. He's convicted of his belief in Christ. Okay, excellent. He's convicted. What else does this say about, about Paul? Okay, good. Leanne, he, he loves and he cares about the people that he's, he's, he's speaking to or he's writing to. What else does it say? Yeah, there's only one gospel and he better be right. He better be right. He has invoked the name of God a couple of times here and put himself up on a pedestal in between him and the teachers that have come after him. Man, he better be right. Um, especially, remember, we're all first generation. I'm giving my money to help Eric now. I'm tending to Phil when he's got a problem, and I just met Phil. Um, and um, I'm having to choose how I, how I advance my career I'm having to give up vices that I used to have that we'll talk about maybe in Galatians chapter 5, some of the works of the flesh. And I'm now, I'm confused as to what I'm supposed to believe. I got choices I got to make uh, between Paul and these other people. So the, the uh, yeah, Roger. Right, that's right. Yeah, there is a there is a direct conflict set up uh, here 
that, that, has, to be, that has to be addressed. And, and Paul is going to address it in different ways over the course of this book. Um, he's going to first establish some credibility for himself. Well, then he's going to try and establish basically a logical case for why he's right. Uh, and then in Galatians chapters, like in the back half of chapter 5 and chapter 6, kind of the so what of that. What should we as Galatian people uh, do about it? Let's go, let's, let's go back a half step, and this is probably a good place to end because this is a, a good place to um, kind of prepare our minds for worship here in a couple of minutes. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Let's, let's go back and quickly, well, let's, let's look at what Paul summarizes that he's defending. Chapters 1, verses 3 through 5, this is the claim that Paul is defending. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever. Amen. So the gospel is the result of a finished work of Jesus Christ, and it has the ability to rescue us from this present age and ultimately um, to the will of God our Father. So this is something that uh, to the Galatians, to us, we have been promised uh, future hope in, in this message that I believed when Paul came. But also, it is sufficient for forgiving our sins and sanctifying us right now. Like, I'm no longer a slave to sin now. Yes, there is something that, that I get in the future, and that's great, but this present evil age Paul has provided something to combat that to me. Um, free, freedom from the slavery of sin here and now in, in a form of, of rescuing. So that's, that. I mean, Paul characterizes the gospel message in different ways uh, in his writings. I think that's important to recall in what, what Paul says that he's defending here. He's defending something that is valuable now, and it's only through Jesus. Um, false teachers have come in. They've claimed that Paul is giving them a uh, watered-down gospel so that they won't be, you know, um, offended or, or focused on the real gospel. The real gospel is conversion to Jesus and continuation in following the law of Moses. And that is what you need to understand. And now we are confused. So now we have set the scene that Paul has to try to, uh, to unravel in the, next, uh, in the next five chapters. Any comments before we uh, quit for right now? Yes, John. I got it, Michael. So what was happening with these false teachers, they weren't denying Christ per se. They weren't denying faith, repentance, baptism. What they were doing was adding something to it as a condition of salvation. Right. And so he said, anybody that would distort, he called it distorting the gospel right. and let them be accursed. Right. Second Peter chapter three, Peter talked about Paul's writings, which he said some people distort 
to their own destruction. So that's why it's yep. so important that Paul is taking a stand against this because the ones that are teaching and the one that would follow that would be to their own destruction. Yeah, well said. Well said. Yeah, this is not a counter argument. It is a distortion of an existing, existing argument. Good. Anybody else? I would just say that it's a huge crossroads because this is the time at which Acts 15 comes into play. Right. Where, where they're going to take action. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. This is not the only region. These are not the only four cities where this problem ha is, is, is identified. That's right. This is, this is, uh, this is a, a global issue that we have to figure out very quickly uh, this, this, at this point in the church's history. All right, we're going to stop there. Thanks.